Welcome to the Work Matters Podcast. In each episode, talking with thought leaders and executives, PurposeWorks founder Thomas Bertels explores what it takes to make work more productive, valuable, impactful, and meaningful. Let's begin the conversation. Welcome to the Work Matters Podcast where we're talking to executives and thought leaders around how to make work more productive, valuable, meaningful, and impactful. And our topic today is building high-performing leadership teams. And our guests are Mike Mosher and Dave Yorman. Um, Mike has uh, 23 years of experience in various leadership roles at Novartis, uh, including talent management, and uh, 13 years ago started Cresco Partners. Dave Yarman brings a 25-year career as an attorney, and you ended your career as the general counsel for PepsiCo. And now you both are in, in business together. And Cresco Partners is all about two things, the way I understand it. One is leadership development, and the second element is, is leadership team development. And today we're going to focus more on the leadership team topic. Um, so, Dave and Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Thomas. Good to be back with you again. Hi, Thomas. So uh, let's get right into it. So building high-performing leadership teams, why does that matter? Yeah, well, you know, it starts with the question, what is a team? You know, and, and a lot of times we get faced with that question, you know, should we be a team? Are we a team? Do we need to be a team? And we define it pretty simply. Right? This is any group of people that needs to get a result together, needs to operate as a team. So what's your approach? How do you go about that? As Mike said, it's a, it's about getting results. And the first thing that we like to focus on, uh, Tomas, and we're, we're, we're huge believers in the power of a leader, uh, but ultimately a leader can't get anything done unless it's done through the members of the team. And so the, the critical thing that we see uh, teams struggle with from time to time is just sitting down and having real conversations about how they're gonna get the work done. Uh, and we see it time and time again when we work with the teams that we work with, as we climb into the room, uh, this team has been put together uh, by somebody within the organization. They're told to go take this mountain or that mountain or get those kind of results. And they start scrambling around, sometimes in a chaotic fashion, to go do the work they do to try to get the results they're doing. But nobody's actually paused to either build the relationships that are critical to underlie the trust that the team needs to build. They haven't talked about the expectations they have for how we're going to get the work done. Uh, they haven't kind of set the foundation for how they're going to operate as a team, which ultimately is going to enable the results that they're all, you know, very interested in getting, but they haven't actually built the foundational elements that they need to build in order to, you know, effectively and very efficiently get to those results. What's like a logical starting point for you? And then, you know, what, what kind of journey do you take these leadership teams on? That's a good question. I mean, when we think about building powerful teams, we're typically working, Thomas, on two dimensions simultaneously, right? So one is the relationship side of it, uh, really deepening relationships uh, in the spirit of building trust, right? So one dimension is, you know, how do we get this group of people to connect in a deeper way, to understand each other better, and to build the trust that's necessary to win together. So the first dimension is the relationship side. The second is all about alignment. And it's alignment in, in a number of ways. It's alignment on the business. It's alignment on the priorities that they share together. It's alignment on how they want to behave with each other. 
it's alignment on how they want this team to operate. So when we approach a team, we're typically sort of working those two dimensions, relationships and alignment simultaneously. And that would be our typical approach. It sounds like there's also like a dimension of like, what are our shared values? What's, what's our common purpose here? Is, is that something that, that is front and center in, in, in how you approach your work? Or is it one of many things that, that you're looking at? How important is like the whole purpose topic? It's certainly important. And I think, uh, you know, it's important for the team to get aligned as to what the organization feels are, are important values. It's important to understand the leader's values and it's important for the leader to understand the individual's values. So your point about, hey, how do we get the values into the conversation? Uh, is a really critical step. It's often framed around what are the values, the principles, what do we believe in as a business, a business unit, what are we here to do together, and what's the why behind what we're doing, uh, which is critical. Uh, and all, often we see teams uh, wrestle with that and not just pause up front to really talk about you know, the alignment on the mission and the why you're actually going about it. And we remind teams all the time, you're not here for a social experiment. This is about getting results and a lot of teams just start working on the tasks. Uh, but to your, your prompt, Thomas, it's really important to stop, pause, and just talk about the why before just taking action steps. In our experience, one of the sort of fundamental underpinnings of a great team is clarity of purpose and priorities. Typically, we'll spend a fair amount of time uh, encouraging the team to really discuss and align on purpose and priorities. And what we mean by that is purpose for a leadership team is getting really clear on what are we doing? Like, what do we stand for? What are we doing? What are we using this team to accomplish in the organization? What's our purpose together? Which could be a variety of things, right? Their purpose might be very strategic in nature. It could be operational, it could be resource allocation, it could be information sharing, it could be a number of things, but just getting clarity and alignment on purpose is sort of table stakes for great teams. And beyond purpose, you know, aligning around priorities. And we're not talking about each member's individual priorities, but what are the priorities of this leadership team? In other words, what are the two or three things that we have to accomplish together? What do we own collectively? What are we going to deliver in the next 12 months together as a leadership team? So a lot of the, the principles of high-performing teams sort of tether back to, are we clear on purpose and priorities together? Do people typically bring you in when, when they're in trouble, right? <laughs> right? You, you, you're realizing that the team is not working effectively together. We consider ourselves a little bit spoiled because ultimately the teams that we work with and have the joy of working with are teams that actually want us to be there, right? And so if you got a really dysfunctional team or a team that's not performing well, it's often at the heart of that is often a team that's not self-aware to realize the help that they need. And the fact that really high-performing teams spend some very intentional time talking to each other, building relationships, getting aligned on purpose and priorities. And so the real dysfunctional teams, we hardly see. We get them every now and then, but they're not self-aware enough to even know that they have uh, issues or problems to go after. And so the teams that we work with are often those, regardless of where the, whether they're being really effective as a group or not, they're at least a team of folks led by a leader who's supportive of, hey, we need to put some time and energy into us as a team and how we're working together just to get ourselves aligned and framed up so that we can actually go do the work that we're in the room to do together. And so we often find ourselves uh, working with teams at different points you know, and levels of effectiveness, but at the end of the day, they're at least willing to study it, 
look at themselves and work on it to improve. How much of, of what you're doing there is also applicable to, let's say, teams at all levels of the organization, right? I know that you guys, we're talking specifically about, about leadership team development, but I could imagine that getting a group of people to work more effectively together to achieve an important result would probably be relevant everywhere in, in today's organizations where we have so many teams. The principles of high-performing teams apply at all levels. You know, whether it's an entry-level project team or, you know, the board of directors or the executive committee of a large company, the principles that underlie high-performing teams are consistent. And beyond just the level of the team or the seniority of the team, it's transferable across industries and geographies as well. So we find ourselves working with non-traditional teams and we've worked with medical schools, we've worked with hospitals, you know, we've worked with sports, you know, we've worked with business teams and the principles translate well across industries, geographies, levels in an organization. There, there is a chance and a possibility that uh, human beings are uh, in large part very similar and that, that the issues that they experience regardless of what team they're on, uh, regardless of the experience they've had in their career. And there's certainly a maturity curve uh, that we see in more senior teams, but a lot of the issues uh, that we confront and see teams struggle with actually have an interesting way of kind of patterning out regardless of levels within the organization or to Mike's point across industri industries or types of organizations. This is a trick question, but I'm, I'm just wondering, so is this, right, you come in, you run a two-day workshop and afterwards the team is fixed um, or is this like a longer lasting engagement conversation a journey together so dave i can't hold back i gotta jump in <laughs> i mean this is this is central to what we do and how we think about it right you know building building a high performance team building a powerful aligned team is not an event It's not an event. To your point, it's a journey, right? I mean, if you could do it in a day and a half and emerge with a team that's performing at a really high level, that'd be terrific and everyone would do it. Um, but it just doesn't work that way. Humans are too complex. Um, team performance is too complex. So we think about it and actually we approach it as, as a journey, as a process. It's a business process, just like developing a product or launching a product or building a budget. It's a process. And so typically what we find is that we'll work with a team, yeah, probably about three times over the course of a year. And that's all about creating sustainability and most importantly, accountability. You know, what we've learned doing this work is that um, you can encourage a team to have all the right conversations and make all the right commitments. But if there's not accountability in the process, there's a high likelihood that people will slip into bad habits again, you know, and revert back to old behavior. And so part of the magic is, to set this up as a process or a journey and to periodically hold the team accountable for their commitments and hold their team accountable for staying the course and following through on what they agreed on. And that's typically how we approach it with teams. So that sounds you guys are more in a coaching role in that process rather than let's say like a training or instructing um, persona, correct? You'll see us kind of shudder if you call us trainers, because we don't think of ourselves as coming into a room, downloading content, trying to build a particular skill uh, for you to take away. Uh, there's some of that in the programs that we do. But to Mike's point, if you're really after developing the team and getting the team to function, 
better, you have to bring some intentionality to it over the course of time, just to keep it top of mind, refresh on the principles and the commitments that you've made. And to, and to Mike's very good point, making sure there's accountability uh, for moving the team forward and actually doing the things that you all committed to do when uh, last you got together. Uh, and, and unfortunately, and it's, we see it in just about every company that we work in, you know, the pace of business uh, at this point in time is so fast. It's so transactional. It's so demanding uh, that the teams and the individuals on those teams just get devoured by the day-to-day -day pace of business and the transactional nature of the business. And so, you know, our, our proposal to, to, to clients and teams is that unless they actually put some time aside, uh, and it's got to be a day or two every couple of months, if they don't put some time aside to kind of pause, stop, think about themselves, check back in on the commitments that they all made to each other some while back, uh, they'll just get devoured by the pace uh, of business and actually never move themselves forward. They may get the transactions done, uh, but they'll miss kind of the, the heart and soul of the operation, which actually is at the core of delivering better results together. A lot of, a lot of teams and leaders, uh, sometimes the more dysfunctional ones, uh, we'll hear, you know, the work that we do and they'll say, it sounds like uh, soft stuff. Uh, and our pitch to them is very different than that. It's actually, if you ask me kind of what was the best delivery uh, of results from my perspective, it all came through the people that were on my teams. It was all through the collective effort that we put together. And when we worked, you know, harmoniously or at least effectively together, we delivered better results. Uh, and to get there to Mike's prior point is a super complex um proposition and it's certainly a process that takes some time and some continued sustained you know, focus and attention that's i think is really insightful what you're saying because i think you're right right these leadership teams they're a little bit like professional soccer teams you buy different players and so you have right this collection um of, of folks right from, from like different countries different languages right that, that's like have one thing in common right they're on this team and want to win and I think that's very similar in the business context where the players change over time right? new leaders come in and they bring their folks in. And so I think you're absolutely right. I think it's very important to just like have a common vocabulary and, and just agreement around like how things get done. So I can imagine that sometimes that goes into it's like very basic things. You, you talked about decision-making, what are the different types of decisions and who needs to be involved? Do you break it down to, to that level of granularity or do you stay more at the principal level? We've accumulated a lot of data on that, having worked with so many teams. And I'll tell you, Thomas, um, very often it comes back to two things that are most challenging for teams. I mean, it's not universal, but in many of the teams we work with, the struggle shows up in, in two particular areas. One is decision-making. And decision-making on teams is not easy. And if you're not clear on the decision protocol, uh, if you're not clear on what decisions need to be made by the team, it can get really messy. And a lot of teams struggle with how to quickly and decisively and effectively make decisions as a leadership team. And so that often becomes a real focus of our work with them. The second area, probably not surprising if you think about it, is conflict management. You know, conflict exists in business all the time. And when we think about conflict, we're not thinking about you know, a hockey fight, you know, or some brawl, you know, in the alley. These are differences of opinions. You want to go left. I think we should go right. We're in conflict. We have a different approach, a different idea, a different opinion. And those kind of conflicts happen all the time in all teams and all businesses on a daily basis. 
and how teams work through those kind of differences is really important. A, it builds trust in the team and B, it creates speed, right? If, if a team can't work through their differences, they're likely going to be too slow and not moving at the pace of business. So a lot of times teams struggle with really effectively and quickly resolving conflicts and moving forward in a healthy way. And again, a lot of our work seems to circle back to that area when we're working with our clients. I would challenge your listeners, Thomas, to think about the teams they've been on and the teams that they've been on that kind of drain their energy rather than build their energy. And our experience is that energy gets drained from a team when they get to a meeting, they talk, talk, talk about an issue, you know, for a good hour, and then nothing happens because they've broken down on some decision-making protocols or ultimately different members of the team have a different perspective. It stagnates the team. It paralyzes the team. They actually don't resolve the conflict. Sometimes they actually fight about the conflict. It's not effectively managed. And now you have a fractured team that hasn't made a decision that hasn't moved the ball forward. And so, you know, to the work that we do, we really get teams to try to focus on, hey, what is the decision-making protocol? Like who's making the call uh, on this? Are you working through consensus? Are you actually just having the leader decide? Are you working a majority uh, rules kind of concept? And ultimately, you know, once uh, hopefully healthy teams um, get their voice into the room and share their perspective generously with the rest of the team, ultimately there's gonna be conflict and a difference of opinions. And so how teams work their way through the conflicts is really a critical element to them moving the ball down the field. Yeah, I can imagine there's also probably a huge cultural component to the extent that maybe a culture encourages or discourages collaboration, for example. What kind of what cultural frameworks are more conducive to achieve a high-performing leadership team versus not? The question conjures up a lot of thoughts for me. And, and one of our observations is that most teams um, get thrown together pretty quickly. And they're built up of people who come from different backgrounds, have different experiences at many different companies and cultures, and they come to the team with their own perspective on how teams should operate. And sometimes those perspectives are very different. If I come from company A and you come from company B, we might have a very different view on how collaboration should work. You know, and so part of this is getting people to talk about their expectations. Like, let's get in the room and talk about our expectations of each other, our expectations of this team, our expectations of the leader, and just clarify that together and start to set the guardrails for how the team is going to operate. And so where you grew up and how you grew up and the culture that you learned in does affect your perspective on teams. And we see it all the time. Like in your experience, right, you guys have been doing this um, for a long time. What, what is difficult as you go through this process? Now we get super practical and pragmatic. I mean, you know, Mike and I both spent a couple decades, you know, in, in corporations, you know, where essentially we were forced onto different teams or led certain teams that had to make decisions. And so our relative to decision-making, you know, we try to keep it really practical for teams. We ask them, Hey, is it even clear what decisions belong in this room? Like, are we, are we burdening the, the agenda with decisions that actually don't belong uh, in this room with this particular group of leaders? Is it clear what we have to decide together? And if it's clear on those items that we have to decide together, what is the decision-making protocol? Uh, and like we get teams to very clearly state up front at the decision-making process point, hey, we're deciding this by, we're gonna give our opinions and then default to the leader. 
hey, we're going to keep working this issue until all of us, you know, can agree and live with it. That's a kind of a consensus model, super slow, but some teams use it. You know, is it really one person, one vote and go by majority rules? There's a, there's a series of di different decision-making protocols. Uh, and our experience is if you can get clear on what decisions belong in this room and what protocol you're going to use at the start of that discussion, ultimately the team's got a better chance of actually getting voices into the room, making a clear decision, and then going forward and supporting it. And that's a critical behavior too. Once a decision is made, the whole team's got to hold hands, get behind it, uh, and, and support the decision as you go forward. But it's super pragmatic, Thomas. This is not, not theoretical stuff. It sounds very ABC one, two, three, but it's amazing to us how many teams just don't spend the time to really make it clear and explicit as to what, what decisions are in the room and how we're gonna decide. No, I think that's very important, right? Because everybody has like the right, their own soundtrack going in the back of their head. And it's like how they make sense out of what's going on. And I think making that transparent and explicit. Uh, right at the very end, you can have a conversation about it and say, do we go left or do we go right? And, and what's the best way to go about it, right? And make it, I guess that also helps to really build ownership within the team. That they say, no, 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 we all agree that this is the way we're going to going to operate. It's not just one person imposing that on us, which I think also speaks to, I guess, the human need for some degree of autonomy and ownership in this. Is that something that, that you see that kind of your process also helps like teams feel some collective responsibility versus just all up to the CEO who, right, who needs to make us work together? Well, it's interesting. I mean, when you say that, Thomas, my mind goes to the real difference between what we would call vertical teams and horizontal teams. If you think about a vertical team, um, a hierarchical team, really leader-centric, leader-driven, leader makes all the decisions, leader sets the strategy, leader holds everyone accountable. And those are the teams that many of us grew up on in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s. It was typical team structure, very vertical and hierarchical. We're seeing a big change. You know, these days in 2022, a lot of teams have migrated to what we would call much more horizontal, where the team actually steps up and starts to lead together. And when that happens, there's a whole new level of accountability and a whole new level of ownership. We kind of own this together. We're responsible together. We're going to make decisions together. We're going to set strategy together. We're going to give each other feedback. And that horizontal behavior sort of moves some of the ownership and accountability off the back of the leader and onto the team. You know, we own this together different behaviors, you know, and pretty powerful. And, and important behavioral changes at every seat in the room. You know, the leader has to give more room to the team, uh, step aside, not necessarily be this, the, the centric, uh, you know, individual that's going to lead every element, every conversation, every agenda point. Uh, and as while the leader is willing to step aside and empower the team, the team members actually have to step up and lead a different way, get their voice into the room, you know, get comfortable sharing the accountability. Uh, and we see struggle points on both of those dynamics. Sometimes some leaders have a hard time stepping uh, aside and empowering the team a little bit. And equally so, certain team members have a hard time kind of appreciating that they're no longer in a vertical model and that the behaviors that they have to bring to the team as a member of a more horizontal team are different. They have to step up into that. Uh, and we see some, some teams and some individuals struggle at every element you know, of that dynamic. Have you seen the pandemic having a big impact on like leadership team effectiveness? Because I can imagine that, but if you bring in new executives during this time, they all started remotely. So people haven't really 
work together in a room and sort of things out, right? So in general, I think people ask themselves, how do we build cohesive cultures if right, our only interaction is over like a little video screen and emails? How have you seen that play out when it comes to leadership team effectiveness? Even before COVID, uh, you know, we, we were seeing the transaction machine and the pace of business accelerate at such a rate uh, that, as I said before, was getting to be such a transactional environment. It was getting actually in the way in some, in some ways of culture, team building, relationships, all the things that are actually the secret sauce of great teams. Uh, COVID has had an interesting dynamic. I think the remote work environment has brought a greater level of intentionality about getting together and intentionality of who's there uh, at various points in time. And so as a lot of folks know, it's just meeting after meeting after meeting and your relationships are essentially prescribed, you know, 30 minute increments in your outlook calendar uh, where you're going to spend time with this person. There's not many spontaneous discussions that's still good at getting the work done. And it's been a super productive environment. Uh, leaders in some ways are more intentional about getting their teams together because they knew that they weren't just naturally getting together in the office. Uh, but at the same time, and those that really support a fully remote work environment won't like what I say, I think we see kind of a slow erosion of cultures and relationships. And certainly for those teams and leaders and team members that joined a team during COVID, the ability to form the relationships and kind of get to know your colleagues and actually build the trust that you need to build to be a super high effective team. Uh, just really doesn't happen effectively uh, over a Zoom or, or Teams meeting. It can, it's not just an absolute, um, you know, no-go, but the idea that you can effectively build teams without getting face-to-face -face, uh, with folks and being in their presence from time to time, uh, both individually one-on-one -on -one and as a team, is just a bit of a stretch um, and I think probably a bit of a myth for those that, you know, really want to support remote teams. I don't think it's really a healthy environment for either the culture uh, of the company, but certainly not for the effectiveness of a team. I mean, I've worked with a fair number of, of leadership teams and I, I just find sometimes you have members on the team that prevent the team from getting deeper and getting stronger together. There's just too much of a difference of, of opinion and culture. Um, how does that play out in these interventions that you bring into an organization? Because when right, you start opening the dialogue, now those differences probably become pretty either pretty clear if people are honest, right? Or it, it's, you can probably sense the, right, the, the level of, of, of uh, disconnect that there is in the room. But, but how do you, how does this play out typically when you have people that are clearly on a very different planet? It's quite amazing to me about how one or two very dysfunctional individuals on a team or folks that aren't really interested in working collaboratively can have an over-indexed impact on the overall output and effectiveness of the team. And I think that's um, a little bit of the challenge for the leader is to assess that situation and really look at each chair in the room and who's in the, each one of those chairs and decide and make the call as to you know, where each individual is relative to making this team work better. And ultimately, you know, one of the, the elements of leadership is certainly to make decisions on who's in each one of those chairs and ultimately, what does each individual have to do to get better and how can I help him or her get better if after a good shot, there's just uh, there's no getting the person over the hump and getting them to be a super effective member of the team, then ultimately there are decisions that have to be made about who's on the team. 
Uh, and those are critical things. But I think a leader has to actually take up the mantra of some of that assessment and make sure that the folks that are in the room actually have a spirit of collaboration and actually want to work together, build the relationships to deliver the collective output that the team's being asked to do. And, you know, a lot of times it's not an individual who's maliciously trying to infect the team. Some people are just fiercely independent. You know, they just uh, really enjoy and sort of um, want to work independently and deliver the results on their own. And then some people are more collaborative in nature. And when you've got a team of fiercely independent people on it, the key is to get them talking about what do we own together? Like we're going to have a chance to retreat to our own function or our own area and run our business. Absolutely. You have the opportunity to do that. But what do we own together? You know, is there something in this business that we are jointly accountable for that we have to collaborate on and getting them to identify, you know, that and agree to work on that together is really important to get those more independent people to lean into the team. And, and most teams, I would say all teams are pretty quickly able to identify what do we own together. There's never really just like one leadership team, but you might have an executive leadership team, but then you also have oftentimes like a broader group of maybe right 30, 40, right? Key leaders that are being uh, intentionally pulled in for some critical decisions. In your experience, does like what you start with the most senior people kind of like by default cascade further down in the organization in terms of this is how we right, run meetings, make decisions and so forth. What does it really require then so, you know, starting a, a version of this process also um, with, that, with that larger group? Yeah, great question. And we, we, we deal with that question with a lot of teams that we work with. And, you know, Mike said earlier that um, the core kind of foundational building block of a team is to really talk about what's the purpose of this group getting together and what are the priorities what are the you know, of this team? What do we have to deliver together uh, in terms of results? And so we often see teams thrown together, leaderships thrown together because it's the leader and the leader's direct reports, and that's the team. Uh, and then when we get into discussions around purpose, as like, what is this team here to do? Uh, we ask them whether they have all the people in the room, whether too few or too many are the right people in the room to carry out the purpose. And we get the team to self-reflect as to, hey, if this is the purpose that we're actually here uh, to carry out, do we have the right players on the team? And a lot of, te a lot of times that should be a smaller number of people in the room uh, because it's hard to make decisions in a group of 15. And so a leader will say, hey, I actually really need these five, or the team decides that they really need these five or six people to make the critical decisions, which to your point, Thomas, then triggers a question of, well, we also have other needs and other things to do that require a bigger number of people. Uh, and so we often see teams or organizations, you know, evolve their thinking into a core team and an extended team. So you got a core leadership team, an extended leadership team, which I, we think is really healthy behavior and healthy things to think about as long as each one of those bodies is reflecting on what is the purpose and the priorities of each one of those bodies. So the core team should have a purpose and priorities. The extended leadership team, if one exists, should have its own core or its own purpose and priorities, and the two should be distinct. So the purpose and priorities of the core team should be distinct from the, the purpose and the priorities of the extended leadership team. And ultimately, as long as those things are clear, uh, then teams can set themselves up however they need to do to be the most effective. 
And there's obviously like an interesting connection to organizational structure, right? You already alluded to, right? One mistake would be to just assume it's all the direct reports who I'd have to sit around the table and now on, on the larger agenda. So really like that thoughtful approach to say, right, what are the key topics that need to be addressed and who are the people who need to own that and, and drive that and, and work effectively together? I don't get the sense that many organizations are particularly clear about those things when they create an organizational structure. But I'd love to get your perspective. You know, in in traditional teams construct, um, structure usually determines the team. I think, as you mentioned, we look at it a bit more progressively. You know, purpose and priorities should ultimately determine who needs to be on the team. And so, you know, I think a lot of organizations are sort of held hostage by the structure that they're in. And as a result, the teams are sort of constructed that way. But we would look at it really differently. You know, we, we think you construct great teams uh, based on the work that needs to be done, you know, and the skills that you need in the room, despite the structure of the organization. And as team construct changes, I suspect organizational structure is going to change as well. I think the traditional hierarchical structures that many of us grew up in are becoming more and more irrelevant in today's sort of really fast and fluid workplace. And so my assumption is that, you know, how organizations are structured is going to evolve and continue to evolve and how teams get constructed is also going to continue to evolve. You know, the most progressive teams that we work with, uh, Thomas, actually review their purpose, you know, roughly once a year. And sometimes the purpose of what this, you know, this team is doing together, why are they in the room together can change from year to year. Uh, and we, we often talk about a basic example, maybe on a particular year, uh, you know, the team really needs to focus on, you know, acquiring an asset or another business or some, you know, kind of footprint changing uh, transaction. And in that case, relative to who's in the room, you might need a real strategic, uh, you know, thinker in terms of the industry, the industry players, possible targets for, you know, acquisition, maybe an M&A uh, expert, et cetera, et cetera. And then they get through the acquisition and the next year, uh, the team sits down and says, what do we have to do the following year? And it's really about integrating, uh, building the culture of that combined entity. And suddenly the, chain, the, the players that need to be in the room to carry out the purpose of integration as compared to the, the process of acquisition uh, changes. And so the leaders on, a, uh, on the team uh, may change. The members of the team may change from year to year based on the purpose of the team. And so the, the more progressive teams that we work with actually look in the mirror each year, decide what their purpose is going to be, and then answer the question of who has to be in the room to carry out that purpose. And leadership uh, team membership or leadership team membership can change from year to year based on the, uh, the change in purpose. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dave and Mike, for coming on the show. It was a pleasure to learn about your work, about leadership team effectiveness and building high-performing teams. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, Thomas. Thanks, Thomas. Be well. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. If you did, be sure to subscribe, like, share, or comment. Until next time, let's make work matter.